Welcome, everyone. The Fly Guys podcast is sponsored by the NFC Championship game. Justin Goodard alongside Cameron Klein. Cameron sitting comfortably. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not sponsored. Don't sue us. (laughs) For legal reasons. Uh, Cameron Klein sits in Spotify. Bucks County, Pennsylvania. I sit in Harrisburg, <laughs> Pennsylvania. Cameron, uh, I guess you'll have to forgive me, everyone, for my my excitement, my uh, enthrallment with what is going on. Uh, I'll bring in my co-host in just a second, but I just want to paint a picture for everyone. The picture is as follows. You are walking in to beautiful Lincoln Financial Field on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, your name is Brock Purdy. And you look up and you see, eh, you know, 70,000 people. And all they're screaming at you is nothing but death. And all they're flipping at you are nothing but birds. Cameron, you feeling pretty good about Brock Purdy's chances in Philadelphia? Because I sure as hell am not. No, dude, I'm not. I'm not. And it's nothing against him. It's just. No, nothing against him. He's played well. And this isn't even like a homer thing. It's just, uh, you just look at all the X factors. You look at like if you would take both these teams in a vacuum, right? Where there's not they're not playing home field, all that crap is out of it. You take them both in a vacuum, you put them against each other. They're a very pretty even matched, a great agree. game happening. But the big edge is the quarterback, right? You have two solid defenses. I would say the San Francisco 49ers have a better defense than the Eagles do, Agreed. but still, the Eagles don't have a bad defense at all. They're still, I would say, a top ten defense. Um, maybe even better. Um, then you look at their offenses, right? And they're both very good offenses. I would put the Eagles at advantage in the offense offenses, but I'd still San Francisco, I would say doesn't have a bad one by any means necessary. What by all, by all means, but it comes down to the quarterback. Jalen hurts is a significant edge over Brock Purdy. He just does. And yes. that's not, again, this is all not counting the X factor stuff of this is an NFC championship game. This is Brock Purdy's first ever road playoff game. This is his first ever road playoff game in an NFC championship game in Philadelphia, arguably the hardest place to play in the goddamn country. Talk about trial by fire. And then you think fire. about the fact that he played against, yeah, the Dallas Cowboys. You have a good defense, too, but I would say the Eagles are just as good a defense. Maybe the Cowboys have a little bit better of a pass rush. But how many points did San Francisco score last week? Other than a fluke, tipped-up George Kittle touchdown catch. Yes. They provided almost no offense at all, which is kind of what we were expecting, though, right? We talked about that on this show. Mm. How is he going to deal with a Dallas Cowboys defense? He's never had to deal with that type of pass rush before, and he struggled a lot. Well, he's going to have to do it again. And I'd argue very heavily that the Philadelphia Eagles offense is significantly better, more fine-tuned, better equipped than the Dallas Cowboys is. So, and that game was in San Francisco. So when you add all this stuff up, on paper... There's the Eagles are going to the Super Bowl, and I got and I got paper. I got paper to talk right. about. So uh, Cameron uh, was given the task earlier this week. I assigned him the Bengals Chiefs game. We're going to hear from him in just a little bit in regards to that. In the meantime, Cameron, let's start with Game One on Sunday. Philadelphia, who comes in yeah. at fifteen and three on the season, taking on the fifteen and four San Francisco 49ers, the one seed and the two seed. It's the way that you'd prefer it, I think, in the playoffs. The the two best teams in each conference going up against each other, and I do believe we have that in both games. We'll start with the San Francisco 49ers. How did they get here? Coming into this year, it was expected that the San Francisco 49ers were going to be more along the lines of a team that not necessarily was rebuilding because that team has enough talent where they don't need to rebuild, but it was a it was like a developmental year for uh, uh, um, Trey Lance, and this was going to be his project, his team moving forward. So when Trey Lance went down against the Chicago Bears – you know, it, it created some. Um, it created some issues. It created some uh, 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 
basically like what's going on now? Is our team on hold? Is you know what what's 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 the direction of this franchise? Well, thankfully, I would say created some opportunities too. You know what I mean? I would say so. <laughs> and one of those opportunities was given to a quarter, a two-time Super Bowl champion. He didn't play in that game, in those games, by the way. Uh, Jimmy so. Garoppolo, who had also led San Francisco to a Super Bowl just a couple of years prior. Jimmy comes in, and you could feel the energy of that team change. You know, it was essentially like changing on a dime. They got better. They believed in their quarterback because, and people will say, well, they didn't believe in Trey and all that stuff. And maybe that there could be some uh, level of truth to that. But you know what? I know for a fact those guys had seen Jimmy do it before, and they knew that Jimmy could do it again. And a couple games into it, it looked like the same thing was going to happen. Jimmy Garoppolo is not a gunslinger the way that Matt Stafford is, the way that Brett Favre was. He's not like that. He is a game manager. He went and watched Tom Brady play for the first good few years of his career. So he knows how to direct and manage a game. Then disaster struck. He got hurt. He got hurt pretty badly. And he was lost for the season with a broken foot. And in comes Brock Purdy. Now, this is a team at this point... You know, they're sitting at 7-3, 8-3. They upend your Miami Dolphins, and Brock Purdy looked pretty darn good. But, I mean, Cameron, come on now. <laughs> it's 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 a third-string quarterback. Teams will figure it out. They'll adjust. No big deal. Never happened. They destroyed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They rode into the playoffs on a not one-game winning streak, not a two-game win streak. How about a 10-game win streak, just to wet your, wet your whistle a little bit? They go in. They take on the Seattle Seahawks at home. Seattle had a nice story, but let's be honest, that San Francisco defense wasn't letting Geno Smith beat them in San Francisco on that day. No sorry, Bob. They destroy the Seattle Seahawks. Now they're taking on the mighty Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys not only fall short, they fall flat on their face. Dak Prescott turns in one of the worst performances of his career. We might have seen the end of Ezekiel Elliott as he was pancaked into the ground on the final play from scrimmage. And give credit to Brock Purdy. It wasn't it wasn't all Purdy, but he got the job done and he looked darn good in the final drive, making sure or the put away touchdown drive of that game. Was there a fluke pass to George Kittle? Absolutely. But in the playoffs, you get those sometimes. I remember a ball going off of Keanu Neal's knee right into the waiting and loving arms of Torrey Smith in twenty seventeen. You get that bounce. It's all about how you take advantage of the bounces, not about whether you get them or don't. So they get that bounce. They take advantage of it. They score. They put the game away 19-12 against Dallas. The defense is looking great. Offense is a bit of a mixed bag, but nothing too crazy. And now they're traveling to Philadelphia. And that's where this story takes another turn, the Philadelphia Eagles. What a different story they are, Cameron. This is not the San Francisco 49ers. From the word go, this team was dominant out of the gate. The talent. Oh, goodness, the talent. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Miles Sanders, Kenny Gamel, Boston Scott, Jalen Hurts. Did I mention Jalen Hurts yet? Dallas Goddard. Even their tight end number three, Greg Calcantara. He put in some nice little yardage you know, after, after receiving uh, the ball from Jalen Hurts. Jack Stull. Skill players were unbelievable. Quez Watkins. Who the hell is Quez Watkins? He's, from what I understand, Sammy Watkins' cousin. He seems to be better than Sammy Watkins at this point. The defense returned to being an absolute brick wall. The secondary was led by good old boy Darius Slay, who is big play Slay incarnate. They have James Bradbury, the man that the Giants cut to save a few dollars, brings to Philadelphia, shores up the other side of the secondary. In the safety position, what did I tell you going into the season? I was nervous about the safeties. Howie Roseman said, fear not. 
I'm going to trade for C.J. Gardner-Johnson, a budding star at safety. Avante Maddox, one in the lineup, is one of the best nickel cornerbacks in the game. We're going to get into, obviously, I can read you the stats and everything, Philadelphia averaging 28.5 points per game. But the point is, these two teams have had very different roads to getting to this point. They're two incredibly talented teams. And really, whoever wins this game has just as good of a shot at winning the Super Bowl as the two teams that are in the AFC. Cameron, I look at this matchup, and I think of three things that stick out to mind. First and foremost, while the Niners' defense is incredible, and it is, their secondary has been susceptible big time to top-end receivers. Philadelphia happens to have two top-end receivers in Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown to get the job done. The San Francisco 49ers also struggled a little bit against mobile quarterbacks in elite running games. They did so against Patrick Mahomes and struggled against Josh Jacobs and Derek Carr in uh, Las Vegas. Philadelphia happens to have Miles Sanders, who is a 1,200-yard rusher, and Jalen Hurts, who almost ran for 800 yards this season. But the one thing that we just mentioned, they got to come onto the East Coast for the first time all season. They have not had to play against a tough East Coast team during this win streak. They got to walk into Philadelphia, probably the hardest place to play in the NFL, and beat the Philadelphia Eagles at the number one seed. Those three things are going against the San Francisco 49ers. Yes, I'm an Eagles fan, so all Uniters fans listening, you can say that I'm an idiot, but I'm going to believe in my team. I believe the Philadelphia Eagles have the advantage of this game, and I really believe that as we talk more about it, you'll see why the Philadelphia Eagles should, should come out on top. Yeah, dude. I mean, if if I, I think if you're a San Francisco fan, if you're going into this game, you think you're gonna you're gonna just crush. You're gonna like, oh, we're gonna beat the Eagles. You you should be confident, but not then. It's necessarily think any Eagles fan should be necessarily confident, confident going into it because it's an NFC Championship game. Both teams are good, but if you're asking me between the two, who should be the Eagles fan? Because their team's not injury prone or injury injury riddled, and their team is on paper. Even if it wasn't injury riddled. San Francisco, I think the Eagles still have a better team. Well, I have big so. news for you to report. Avante Maddox has been practicing this week, and I'm trying to get the report right now because it looks like Avante Maddox was listed as a full participant during today's practice. And today is Thursday. He's definitely out there during the time of the practice. And Lane Johnson is obviously – he's looking – everyone else is off the injury list. A.J. Brown, not listed. Jalen yeah. Hurts, not listed. So Philadelphia – is a completely healthy team going into this game for the most part. San Francisco is too. I mean, I saw Christian McCaffrey listed on the uh, on the. Yeah, but but they're they are and they're not though. They're like, they're, you know, they're not like, going to miss this game. Is it's a non-zero chance. Yeah, yeah, and plus, like again, like yeah, like oh, well, there there's no injuries there. Well, yeah, now counting Jimmy Garoppolo, the best quarterback they have at that franchise, like that that is an injury that you're yes. they're going into. Whether it's nothing they can do. My point being, I don't think there's anything wrong with you being confident going into this game as an Eagles fan. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I. You know, I don't. I don't think you're. You should be worried about that at all. Um, I do want to make a comment too, really quickly, just just at the Dallas Cowboys because I just want to dunk on them again. Like <laughs> when they set up for that last play call, the audacity to set up like that, and it was one of those things where it's like when when I saw it, I thought there's no way they're really trying this, and then I thought you know what they are because it's the Cowboys because only a, a franchise like the Dallas Cowboys would have the audacity to think that they could just outsmart the NFL. Well, we could do it because we're the Cowboys. What has that meant since 1994? 
Not a damn thing. Nobody gives a shit. And they fell on their face. They oh San Francisco just just. Well, yeah, I don't even blame the guy. I don't even blame. He just was, you know, what is he that might have been Ezekiel Elliott's last play as a Dallas Cowboy, by the way. And if yeah, so, what a way, what a way for that to end for you. Um, if so, who gives a shit? It's another irrelevant player, no longer being on an irrelevant team during an irrelevant era that that franchise has irrelevantly had. Maybe it's because nobody I was, cares. Maybe it's because I was an outsider. Uh, I don't know if you've <laughs> had the chance to talk to any Cowboys fans, but. Um, I didn't think this one would hurt them as much as last year's did because, one, it wasn't at home, and everyone kind of knew that San Francisco was probably the better team on paper. From the just the couple of Cowboys fans, friends that I have, they seem to take this one pretty personally. Like, this one this one seemed to really dr- – and I was, in, I was I asked, I was like, why does this one hurt? And they say, if you had told me we were going to hold the San Francisco 49ers to just 19 points, I would have told you we're going to win because I think they got fooled a little bit into how Dak Prescott played against the Buccaneers. But that Buccaneers defense was not nearly as good as the Niners defense. But more importantly, I and I just didn't see it because my these two friends that I have, they're very rational-minded people. They, they, they dunk on their own team a lot. I think they bought into the hype of this year's team. I think they really believed that this team, because of how improved the defense was, was going to go all the way. Or at least, at least, they were going to get back to the conference championship game. They saw Philadelphia was sitting there. They think, we can beat Philadelphia. We've had their number. We win this game. We might have a ticket to the Super Bowl waiting us. Problem is, there was another team in the way that you had to beat first. And it's been the Cowboys' kryptonite over the last couple years now. They cannot beat the San Francisco 49ers. They just can't. Because I think they're a better built team and a, and a much better coach team. The San Francisco 49ers are extremely well coached, if not the best well best coach team in this league. I, I if um, Kyle Shannon's a finalist for coach of the year, and for good reason. What he's done with his team is incredible. Yeah, when you're using your third string last pick in the draft quarterback, and you're still haven't skipped a beat. I mean, it really is a testament to your coaching. But no, it's funny because in my experience, I, I don't know many Cowboy fans. Um, there's only one really that I've talked to throughout this NFL season that I that I see regularly. And it was funny because he had the exact opposite take. Um, going against Tampa Bay, he was even saying, he was like, I don't think we're going to win this game. He's like, we're not as nearly as good as every team, everybody else seems to think that we are. I don't understand why we're people think <laughs> we're as good as we are. And then it got to San Francisco. He was just like, well, it doesn't matter if we beat Tampa Bay because we're going to lose San Francisco. <laughs> so what are we doing here? So it's funny you say that. But, um, and it's funny, I, 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 before we move off of, of them, at least just dunking on them, talking shit about them because I can't stand them. I, I kind of feel like the Cowboys this year are what everyone is claiming the Eagles are this year. The team that's an inflated record because they had an easy schedule, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. But I just don't think the Eagles, to me, the Eagles are beating the teams they're supposed to beat and they're dominating them. And that's what a good team does. Whereas the Cowboys, other than like the Vikings, who they dominated, there's a lot of games here and there, but just kind of, yeah. There were a lot of close games that ended up getting away from the other team. I, I think of the Colts game and the Bears game specifically where the score looks a lot better than – I mean, it looks a lot worse than it really was for the yeah. Bears and Colts. But um, just to getting back to the NFC title game, uh, what I want to do with you right now is I just want to take two players from each side of the ball from Philadelphia yeah. Yeah. and from San Francisco and just talk about their significance. And starting on defense okay. – uh, two players from Philadelphia that I think you're gonna, you know, see a lot of on Sunday. 
Firstly, Hassan Reddick, 16 sacks in the regular season, had mm-hmm. another sack and a half against the Giants. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had five forced fumbles. He had three fumble recoveries, 11 tackles for losses. He was incredible this season. He really was the best free agent acquisition I think Howie Roseman's ever made. It wasn't just the fact that you were bringing home a guy that had 29 and a half sacks in a three-year stretch. It was the fact that you were bringing home a Philly kid who was yeah. dying to play for his team. And he stepped yeah. up to the challenge. Not a lot of guys do that, by the way. Not a lot of guys come home to their city and are as good as advertised. It just doesn't always happen. Yeah. And then the other guy that I want to talk about, this is someone that you'd think this is a slam dunk, right? You'd think, oh, yeah, this person has to be a big part of it. Darius Slay. Last half of the season, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's it's been there's been some questions. Questions about whether, you know, has he fallen off a little bit? James Bradbury has been pretty solid throughout the entire season, uh, shoring up that other side of the ball. Darius Slay, he's had his troubles against Terry McLaurin. You know, he's struggled with uh, – he, he allowed his uh, Kenny Galladay's first touchdown as a giant. But Darius Slay against the New York Giants in this last win looked pretty, pretty good. He looked like Darius Slay to me. He was physical. Mm-hmm. He was on the ball. And really, the reason why the Eagles have the number one ranked passing unit in the NFL, it starts with a Darius Slay. The secondary mm-hmm. is loaded. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, Avante yeah. Maddox, Marcus Epps, Reed Blankenship, uh, James Bradbury. These guys are all awesome. But it starts with Darius Slay. He is the captain of that secondary. He is as they at the so-called big play Slay. Those two yeah. guys are the two guys I'm looking for out of this Eagles defense to step up if Philly's going to win on Sunday. And as far as San Francisco goes, and then I'll bring you into this, Cameron, um, yeah. you can't even begin to mention the San Francisco 49ers defense without mentioning Nick Bosa. Yeah. It's just yeah. obvious. Nick Bosa this season, 18 and a half sacks. But here's the big stat. 18 and a half is awesome. I've seen guys do that before, though. It's the 48 quarterback hits that really jumps out at me. He hit the quarterback mm-hmm. 48 times. I didn't look to see if, he, if how many times he got flagged, because I don't care. You hit the quarterback 48 times. That's amazing. And then staying on that, staying in the front seven, Fred Warner. What a what a linebacker he yeah. is. Yeah, those are my two. Those are my two. Led San Francisco the, as well. Led the team in tackles. Penn, t- here's the thing. Two sacks. Oh, wow. Not a blitzing linebacker. No, because you can drop the guy into coverage, as we saw him do against CeeDee Lamb. He's got pen, 10 passes defended. He's got an interception. That guy is the brains of this secondary. Um, I think Philly does not have the best pass rusher on the field. That's Nick Bosa. Everyone knows that. Yeah, that's fair. But I think Philadelphia has the best pass rush. They have a unit of guys. Okay, yeah. San Francisco had 44 teams. San Francisco had 44 team sacks. You take out Bosa's 18 and a half, and obviously that drops down to below – or somewhere like, I think it's uh, like, what, 26 and a half or something like that, 25 and a half. Philadelphia, you take out uh, Hassan Reddick's 16 sacks. They still have 54 team sacks, which is more than what the Niners had as a team. <laughs> yeah. Um, just two incredible defenses, yeah. and those are the two players in each side that just jump out to me. Yeah, no, dude. I mean, 100% agree on the, on the 49ers, cause, and, and not for the same exact reason. Mine was more... Those two guys are ones on the edge, and one's going to be used as a quarterback spy. Um, so it's going to be the perfect kind of those two guys. Are who you want to watch for the RPO? Uh, Fred Warner, Nick Bosa. Um, how or Nick Bosa, right? I always I always forget Nick and Joey. I just see the Bosa, the Forty Nine er one, the San Diego one. I don't give a shit. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. I just think that it's 
what's going to come down to the Eagles run the RPO so incredibly well. Um, how are the 49ers going to be able to respond to that? Um, so, yeah, I think Bose and Warner are the best guys to do that, to look at for that. I agree with you with Reddick. Um, to me, he's, I guess, the, like you said, the best way to describe him is like the Eagles Boza, but he's, he's Boza's just Boza. It is what it is. Um, Darius Slay, obviously, because he's the captain of the secondary. I understand your choice there. Although I would say mine would be C.J. Garner-Johnson just because I love the guy, first of all. I love safeties. I love tough, mean safeties. He is those things. Um, and also, he's going to be the guy who's going to be looking after um, George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey. So I'm going to be interested to see how he handles kind of those dump screens out of the backfield, that kind of stuff, because you know plays are going to be broken down and Purdy's not going to be able to look downfield. So when he's going to have to dump it off, he's going to have to dump it off to a tight end. He's going to have to dump it off to a running back. It comes down to the safety for that. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, you know, it's a contract year for you, man. Let's let's see what you can do against these two guys in the NFC Championship game. They're going to be stretched. This defense is going to be stretched then. It will be because the, the playmakers that uh, San Francisco has, and we'll get into our t- two key skill set players on each side before going into the quarterback discussion – they're great. So Philadelphia's going to have to be very long and very, very quick to the outside. If they're not, San Francisco's just going to be bing, bang, boom. What I think Philadelphia will be able to control, though, is the line of scrimmage, whether it's the run game or getting after the quarterback. I believe that their defensive line is better than the Niners' offensive line. Could I be wrong? Sure. Wouldn't be the first time I've been wrong on this show. Do I think I'm wrong? Yeah. Not really. Um, I don't like you, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, one-on-one against Greg uh, George Kittle. Oh God, that that, that scares me. <laughs> Just a yeah, it's bit. terrifying. Um, it's terrifying. He's half his size, dude. But what are you gonna do? <laughs> now let's talk about uh, let's talk about skill set players on each side. Um, we'll start yeah. with San Francisco this time. The two guys. One we just mentioned his name. It's obviously George Kittle. Uh, for me, mm-hmm. he is, you know, people would say it was a down year for him. The man still had 11 touchdowns. He still had 60 receptions, still 765 yards. And this is with three quarterbacks having to throw to him at different times. So not that bad. The other one, it's not Debo Samuel, although Debo Samuel will be all over the field. I know that. Brandon Ayuk is turning into an absolute stud, an absolute stud of a wide receiver. If he's not there already, than he's about to be. 78 catches, over 1,000 yards, 8 touchdowns, average 60 yards per game. But it's more about the fact that in the short game, when they have to get the ball to him on a short throw, that's where he's at his most effective. And that's how you attack the Eagles, trying to go with the short game. That's where the if you try and beat them long, those secondary guys are just going to kill you all day. Beat them short, make them play the long game, which Jonathan Gannon's okay with, and Brandon Ayuk might be the perfect person to go with. On Philadelphia's side, it's, it starts with A.J. Brown. He is the best receiver on this Eagles team. He did not have a big game against the Giants, and there was some vented frustration about that. He clearly wasn't the happiest on the sideline. He did come out and say he's not a diva, so thankfully he's not Terrell Owens in that regard. But where he has been Terrell Owens is everything else. 88 catches, nearly 1,500 yards, 11 touchdowns, averaged 17 yards per reception. And as I mentioned earlier, this is a San Francisco secondary that was 20th against the pass. What better guy, a possession receiver, a guy that can be zooming and grooving against you than A.J. Brown? And then my second one. I thought a lot about it. Dallas Goddard's pretty darn good. He's pretty darn important to this Eagles team. Miles Sanders, for me, is the one. He is so freaking important 
to how this Eagles are gonna this Eagles team is gonna attack the Niners. You know the Niners are the number one rushing defense in football, only allowing seventy seven point seven yards per game on the ground. Miles oh, yeah, Sanders has his biggest challenge as a pro football player. This season was his breakout year. 1,269 yards, 11 touchdowns compared to last year when he had no touchdowns. He has been everything that the Eagles had thought he was going to be coming out of Penn State and then some, averaging nearly five yards per carry. If that offensive line creates the holes for Miles Sanders and he is helping the Eagles create second and short situations, third and short, keeping them ahead of the chains, San Francisco is going to be out on the field for 35 minutes on defense. And if you're out on the field for 35 minutes on defense, that means you've given the Eagles 35 minutes of time of possession. You are not winning this game. The grinding game of football for this Eagles offense to control the tempo starts with Miles Sanders on the ground. Helps Jalen Hurts, helps the rest of the team. I mean, that was beautiful. I thought, was beautiful. Was, I thought, I, I thought that was a pretty good segment too, right? <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Um, yeah, no, I mean, like, I I honestly say it's really it really comes down for me, like, just to A.J. Brown. And that's not because it doesn't come down to Miles Sanders. It's mm-hmm. just because you got a committee of running backs. So it's not all on him, mm-hmm. but you're right. Like, the run has to be established because, like you said, that's that's the Tom Brady way is to keep the defense off the field. You're death by a thousand paper cuts. And that, it is. That's how they win games. That's why he has, has right. seven rings. It's, it is what it is. And, yeah, he's – no, I agree with you 100%. But, yeah, A.J. Brown to me is the most important guy, like you said. The secondary is the weak spot in this defense. You, you have a, a quarterback who can move around in the pocket as long as A.J. You beat your guy. If you beat your guy quick enough – He's gonna have an insane game. You can you can put him up for twelve catches if he if he's if he's on it. If AJ Brown is on it, <sighs> yeah, he could, watched, have a, he could have a hell of a game. I watched uh, the 49ers defense against the Chiefs offense because I thought that was the most similar offense that I could compare who they had played yeah. this year to when it comes to Philadelphia. And the yeah. one thing that I that I noticed was Juju Smith-Schuster had a huge game against the. San Francisco 49ers. But you know who else did? McCole Hardman had three touchdowns mm. that game. A couple of them coming on end around. So don't let's not even rule out the possibility that Quez Watkins could see himself in for a yeah. big day as well. He he would be the equivalent to what Kansas City has in McCole Hardman. Um quickly touching on uh the quarterbacks. We know who the obvious edge on this on this side of the ball goes to. Philadelphia yeah. has the better quarterback in Jalen Hurts. At least at right now. I'm not I'm not saying anything going. That's all we're talking about is for this week. And for this week, Jalen Hurts is the better quarterback. Yeah. But Peter Schreger, Peter Schreger from NFL Network made a really interesting segment on NFL, um, on Good Morning Football earlier this week. And I don't know if you saw it, Cameron, because I didn't know this. I'd like to think I know everything about the Eagles inside and out, but there were were a couple things that I missed. Uh, On the defensive side of the ball, the Eagles recently hired two people on their def- assistant defensive staffs. Those people in question in name are DK McDonald and Tyler Scudder. These names otherwise wouldn't mean anything to you other than what I'm about to tell you. They were defensive assistants at Iowa State University during the entire time that Brock Purdy happened to be there. The entire time. They practiced against him every day. They had to have their defense run out there and go up against Brock Purdy. If there was two people that you would think know how to go up against Brock Purdy, I might start with those two. (laughs) And I had no idea about this when I saw it. So Brock Purdy 
seems to have some insiders in Philadelphia that know about him. Other than tape, who knows that much about Jalen Hurts on San Francisco's side? Because I'm not aware of anyone from Alabama that knows that much about Jalen Hurts. You can th- throw in the film, sure. Go ahead, throw in the film. Call your buddies. Call Mike McCarthy. See how you like. Go ahead. But I think that that competitive advantage already makes a situation in which Brock Purdy's coming into this game as you know not as good as Jalen Hurts and makes it even even tougher on him. Even tougher. Yeah, it does. I mean, um, it does. It, it does. It's it's not. It's an it's a super uphill battle. It's more of a super uphill battle even now. I didn't know that either. That's an insanely interesting thing to know. Um, I, when I, I I'm I, telling you, I was at work when I saw it, and I I nearly I nearly crapped my pants. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't yeah. believe it. Um, I would say playing devil's advocate, you could argue like, well, listen, this is the Kyle Shanahan system. So like the Brock Purdy they knew then might not be the same one now. But the thing is, is that system was only brought in this past year. The man has his instincts, and they were around his instincts a lot more. And than that's Kyle where was. they'll see that. Yeah, and exactly. So yeah, that. no, dude, uh, that's a major advantage. Ma- major, unbelie- major I, advantage I, for the Eagles there. Wow. I'm telling Didn't you, know that. I, I saw that. I saw that. I said, like, like, you can't make this storyline up. You really can't make this stuff up in football. Um, to close things out, just a few fun facts for you, Cameron, that I kind of obtained while. Uh, <laughs> You know, going through the stats. I, I again, I have four pages worth of notes about the Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers. So for those who say I don't prep, bleep you, I prep. Um, Robbie Gold has never missed a kick in his playoff career. This season, he was 27 of 32, missed only one extra point. Jake Elliott, who was a Pro Bowler last year, 20 of 23, only missed two extra points. Not really that notable, but what I do find notable is that Robbie Gold, uh, the last time, the last time that. Uh, or I'm sorry, not the last time, but I just remember long ago a Chicago kicker having trouble in the Chicago wind against the San Francisco 49ers team, the 2004 season. The kicker's name was Robbie Gould. So it was just funny that, you know, all these years later, here he is, and he's still kicking at an insanely high level. Uh, San Francisco has only one man that has returned punts and kicks, Ray Ray McLeod. You might know his name because he muffed a punt earlier last week against the Dallas Cowboys. Um, averages about 10.8 yards per return on punts and 23 yards per uh, kickoff. I bring up the special teams because Philadelphia did not have the best special teams. And this is where San Francisco, I believe, has a clear advantage. San Francisco averaged their own starting field position at the 32-yard line, which was definitely top five in the NFL. I didn't write down the ranking, but it was definitely top five. might have even been top one. Uh, Philadelphia was allowing teams to start out around the 29-yard line. So if San Francisco can get a good few kickoff returns in this game, they're going to set Brock Purdy up in really good field position, and we'll see how that works out. Jake Elliott, only 65, I believe, percent, or somewhere in the 60s. It was 69.2% of his kickoffs went for touchbacks. So guy doesn't have the deep, the biggest leg in football. Uh, Cameron, to close it out with the Eagles before we turn things over to the Bengals and Chiefs, Philly 23, Niners 16. I, I, I feel – I really think they're going to go to the Super Bowl. I, I believe in my team. I really, really believe that they're going to go to the Super Bowl. I I kind of agree with you too. Um, not being a homer, I would say maybe a little bit less scoring though. I'd say 20 to 6. Well, I'll tell you what, if it's 20 to 6, I'm going to breathe a lot easier <laughs> throughout the game. I, seriously, I don't think, I don't think it's going to be – 
super crazy. It's, it's, I don't think it's going to be super offensive. It's really, there's only really one way to me, in my opinion, it could be offensive, and that's through the Eagles. So it's either they're going to blow them out, which I don't think is going to happen. So I think they're going to score relatively well, but I don't see San Francisco putting much on the board. I don't think the Eagles, I don't see the Eagles giving them a lot. You know what I mean? So that's how I landed there. Fly Eagles, fly. And now, uh, without even without even wasting a beat, <laughs> I'll turn things over to my partner. He had his research due about the San, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's see how his book report turned out. Cameron. Yes, mine was uh, a lot longer. Uh, well, it was all it's a lot of screenshots and shit though, but it's yeah. all on Word. I didn't handwrite it like you did. I like that. <laughs> um, but it's 30, 13 pages. But that's in Jesus. Okay, here we go. So, yeah. But it's just a lot of stats the last times these these teams have played. So um, I wanted to look back, right? I wanted to make this kind of like a cool, fun, little goofy NFL thing. So I decided I wanted to look back. I wanted to go all the way back. Um, the first time these teams played was October 13th, 1968 in Kansas City, in which the Kansas City Chiefs won 13-3. to It's one of those old school, grind them out, just like shit football games. Um, however, the overall record between these two teams, the Bengals actually lead 18-14. to which is, I was a little bit surprised by, just because recent memory, if you don't I was look too, back. The, the Chiefs don't have as bad of a history as the Bengals do, at least from like you know, the Bengals from the 90s until like pretty much up right. until now. Exactly, exactly. That's why I was kind of surprised by it myself. Um, but yeah, so they, they actually have a little bit of an advantage, 18-14 record against the Chiefs. But then I started looking, okay, well, let's look at the recent years, right? Let's see how these two teams play, the, these Bengals and these Chiefs played against each other. So... Look at the last five times they've played. Um, three of those times were in the last 13 months. Kind of funny. Um, and then the fourth time, I guess, since then uh, was in 2018 and then 2015. Um, so the last five times, the Bengals have a 4-1 and one record against uh, these Kansas City Chiefs. Um, their only loss came in 2018 where they lost 45 to 10 against Kansas City in Kansas City. But that was 2018 when Andy Dalton was still the quarterback. In the last three times they played when Joe Burrow was the quarterback, they won all three games. So I'm going to break them all down. So last year, I'm going to say it was week 17 or week 18. It was week 18. It was the last game of the season. The Chiefs played against Kansas City or against the Cincinnati Bengals. They played in Cincinnati. The Chiefs were... You know, the kind of the more favored team, I guess. I mean, they were both really good, right? The, the Bengals had their week with the offensive line. That was kind of the only mm-hmm. thing that really anybody was really worried about was their offensive line. Um, they ride in, last game of the season. Both teams are playoff bound. Both have already won their division. It is what it is. But the Cincinnati Bengals win 35-31 to by a field goal. Um, close match game. So I wanted to look individually at the stats here too. So Joe Burrow was 30-39 for 39 for 446 yards and four touchdowns that game. Absolutely hammered it, right? Didn't run the ball much. Mixon ran 12 times for 46 yards, and that was pretty much it. Burrow had a couple scrambles. They used Perrine once, and that was that was about it. They brought in Brandon Allen for one play, just I guess as like a quarterback sneak or something. I don't know. Um, then we look at the Chiefs. Mahomes was 26 for 35, still a pretty good completion percentage, 259 yards and two touchdowns. Running-wise, um, Daryl Williams was their guy. He had 14 carries Ooh. for 88 yards. They mix it up a lot more, though. Had a lot more of a running game, this team. Derek Gore had three carries for 37 yards. Mahomes ran twice for 25 yards, two scrambles. And then a couple other guys had a couple hand- handoffs here and there. We look at the receivers for both for this individual game. The Bengals were pretty, pretty lopsided to Jamar Chase. He had 11 catches. The next highest guy was mixing with seven. Chase had 11 catches, 266 yards, and three touchdowns that game. Absolute just tore through. 
Then you look at the Chiefs, and they had a much more balanced pass game. Hardman had one catch for 53 yards. Tyreek Hill had six catches for 40. Pringle had three catches for 35. Kelsey had five catches, 25 yards, and a touchdown. A lot more balanced, right? But they lost the game, is what it is. They meet again just about a year ago from this week. Championship weekend, AFC Championship game in Kansas City. The rematch. The Bengals are now on the road this time. And as we all know, the Bengals won 27-24 to in overtime. So I looked at all the stats of this game, right? Did the kind of the same thing. Burrow, 23 for 38, 250 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Mahomes, 26 for 39, 275 yards, three touchdowns, but two interceptions. So on and so forth. I could read down the stats all day, right? I could do that. Yeah. They ran the ball a little bit more the Bengals that time than they did normally, whereas the Chiefs didn't for whatever reason. I'm not entirely sure why. Um, and then the wide receiver, in terms of receiving and that kind of stuff, the Bengals, they had a much more balanced. It wasn't all Jamar Chase. Higgins had six catches. Chase had six catches. Uh, Tyler Boyd had four catches. They spread the ball out a lot more. Whereas the Chiefs, they kind of fed Kelsey a lot more, Hill a lot more, but still overall balanced. The Chiefs didn't change much between Game 1 and Game 2 of last year when they played each other. But the Bengals did. And that was kind of the first thing that kind of stuck out to me, was the Bengals, even though they won the first time, they still made these adjustments. Right, they 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 ran the ball a lot more. They balanced the pass game a lot more, so on and so forth. And I was just sort of thinking, I was like, all right, well, before I move on to how they played this game, I want to watch the highlights of these games, right? And watching the highlights of last year's AFC Championship game, I saw a lot stick out to me about what was wrong with the Chiefs, what they did wrong, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's a it's a microcosm of the problem with the Chiefs. And kind of the problem with the future of some NFL offenses that I think they're going to run into. A lot of these offenses are now gunning toward this dual-threat quarterback. Somebody who can run, but somebody who can throw. Kind of like an improviser. A Russell Wilson, in a way. Somebody who, when the pocket breaks down, they can roll out, but they can still have a rocket arm bomb at 60 yards, whatever. Still have great vision, see the field, still know where guys are going to go. I.e. Patrick Mahomes. He's perfect. He's perfect. He can run around. He can run for 30 yards if you let him. He can... As he's running in the pocket, being chased by 15 guys, still be able to look downfield, still be able to see coverage. But it seems to me like the Chiefs relied a little bit too much on that. They relied on the play being broken down. And I broke it down like this. As I'm doing this research, I keep reminding myself and telling myself, this is going to come down to one play. This game on Sunday is going to come down to one play. It's going to come down to one turnover, one crucial fourth down stop, one crucial third down stop, a crucial momentum swinging sack, something like that. That's going to be the game. So as I'm watching this, the highlights of this game, I'm wondering, when is it coming? When is this play, right? I want to see if my theory is correct. So we'll break it down. The Chiefs, they start off red hot. They go 21 to three. I mean, it was, they were absolutely demolishing. We all know the story. Then the Bengals come back. They score a touchdown with about a minute left to go in the second half. Samaj Perrine gets a breakout little screen pass dump route. He gets over, scores touchdown. It's 21-10. The Chiefs have the ball with about a minute left. So the Chiefs do what I would do if I was, you know, playing Madden or ideally what I would like to do if I was in this situation, which is, hey, listen, the Bengals are going to get the ball back. So we, it'd be ideal if we scored some points here. Make the make the lead even tougher. Have them go into the half down three scores, screw them, whatever. So they march on the field, and they have Tyreek Hill. They have Travis Kelsey. They get down there pretty quickly. Next thing you know, before you know it, pass interference is called on Tyreek Hill. It's first and goal on like the four-yard line. Six seconds left. If they're lucky, if they play it really, really, really well, they can maybe get two plays off, but let's be real. They're going to get one playoff. 
One Bill five. Belichick would go for the field goal in this scenario. Tom Brady would go for the field goal in this scenario. And I think as time will move on in the future, we'll see that Joe Burrow would go for the field goal in this scenario. But not but the Andy Chiefs Reed. don't. No, not Andy Reid. Because they have Patrick Mahomes. They have playmakers. They can do stuff here. So they do a really, really cool play call. I really enjoyed it, actually. I thought it was really designed well. Which was kind of a play action, like jet sweep bubble pass, where Tyreek Hill comes across for the jet sweep. They go to snap the ball. They don't hand it off to him. And then they fake hand it off to Darrell Williams, having the defense see Tyreek Hill think, oh shit, jet sweep. And then they don't hand it to him. They hand it to Darrell Williams. You think, okay, we all got to overcorrect to get Darrell Williams. Meanwhile... They didn't give it to him. Tyreek Hill's wide open right there. Well, guess who didn't fall for it? Eli Apple didn't fall for it. <laughs> and so he grabs Tyreek Hill, throws him down. Clock says zero. It's 21-10. Bengals get the ball back. They go down the field. They kick a field goal. They get it. But what do they do with that opening drive? They do the Tom Brady way. And you were just mentioning it. And that's why I love that you brought it up with the Eagles and how they have to do it against the San Francisco 49ers with Miles Sanders and why he's so important. The Bengals run the ball. They run it, and they run it, and they do these little short, dinky-dunk passes, so on and so forth, but they just take the time off the clock. And before you know it, there's only three minutes left in the third quarter. They took the whole first quarter. Just, Just... Tear, just tearing away, tearing away, tearing away. And they kept Patrick Mahomes and that red-hot offense that was all hot that first half, and they had him sit on the bench, cool down for a little bit, and they said, you know what, you're going to sit there for another 13 minutes as we just hand the ball off, so on and so forth. So then it gets down to the point, it's third and eight. The Bengals, they're in the red zone. They could try to go for a touchdown, but it's third and eight, so they have to do what they got to do. So what does Burrow do? He snaps the ball, he remains in the pocket, and he throws it to his check down, screen pass, they only get two yards, they have to go for the field goal. I'm going to come back to that. So we move forward. It's 13-21. to 21. The Kansas City Chiefs have the ball. Mahomes has it. It's about their 25-yard line. Maybe they've had a play. I'm not exactly sure yet. Snaps the ball. The pocket collapses as it has throughout the game at this point, right? Mahomes is forced to improvise, but that's okay because that's what the Chiefs are aware of, are ready for. That's what Mahomes is ready for. He's been here a thousand times. He starts to roll out to his left, and he could roll all the way out, get out of the pocket, throw it out of bounds. He could do that. That's what Aaron Rodgers would do. That's what Tom Brady would do. But Mahomes is the improviser. Mahomes is the guy who we can make a play happen because we've seen him make a play happen. And so the whole team is kind of built off that. you got Tyreek Hill as another guy. It's the same way. It's a team built on improvisation. He throws it inside. doesn't need to, but he does because he wants to try to make a play. The ball is tipped, and it lands in a defensive lineman of the Bengals' hands. And all of a sudden, it's a one-score game with only two minutes going into the, fourth, into the third quarter. Two minutes left in the third quarter, excuse me. And the Bengals yeah. have the ball at your 25-yard line. Dink, doink, dunk. Bang, touchdown, Jamar Chase. Bang, two-point conversion. It's now 21-21, and it's the fourth quarter. So, so on and so forth. We all know how the game ends, right? The Chiefs, they get down. They have like a minute left or something like that. They get down. They get down to the nine-yard line. They could run the ball. They don't. They try to throw it into the end zone. They Second down. They could run the ball. They don't. They try to throw it into the end zone. Third down. They could run the ball. They don't. Instead, they have Mahomes improvise again. He snaps the ball, and he waits. The play breaks down as it has the past two times. He tries to roll back. The Bengals, who've done what they've done all game, they kept the blueprint the same the whole game. They never changed anything because they didn't need to, despite the fact that they were down. 
by 18 points at one point. They didn't change anything. They kept it cool because that's what Joe Burrow does. And I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's Zach Taylor. I have no idea. But they send in a quarterback spy. He takes off, goes after Mahomes in the in the in the comes right through the gap, right through the middle, takes after him, gets him, sacks him. He loses 20 some yards. And now what would have been a 27 yard field goal is now a 44 yard field goal, and they make it. But my point being is this team, the Kansas City Chiefs, have relied on improvisation over and over and over again. That's what their team is built off of. Whereas Joe Burrow, to me, and the Bengals are built off of just consistent keep-to-the-book game plan. Keep and he marching. executes it better than anybody. Anybody. And they obviously win this game. So then I decided, okay, how did this year's game go? How did this year's game go? Well, much like last year's. 27-24. A little bit different, though. The Chiefs this time were starting off lower. The Bengals were crushing it. They were off to a hot start. I want to say it was, I think it was 21-10, to 10, something like that early on. I don't exactly remember. I wasn't. Yeah. I didn't break this one down as much because um, I felt like it didn't have quite the same similarities. But similar thing. Mahomes is in the backfield. They're at their, I think it was their 39-yard line. And it was third and three. He snaps it. Play breaks down. He's got Pacheco on his far side as the the check down guy. He can throw it to him. He's wide open. There's nobody there. If he gets it to him, will he make the first down? Maybe not. But you won't take the sack. He might get to the line of scrimmage. He might get you a yard or two. Make things a little bit easier for the kicker. But Mahomes keeps it. He doesn't do that. He keeps it. He tries to make a play. He gets sacked. He loses two yards. Guess who misses the kick? Harrison Butker. Butker. Oh, shit. <laughs> now it's down 27-24, three minutes left. You just gave Joe Burrow the ball back. What do they do? They, they did what they out. did. All came just like they did in the NFC AFC Championship game last year, just like they did before that. They ran it out, textbook football, all the <laughs> way through. The game plan never changed the Bengals in all three of these games. Every single time, the Chiefs just, everything broke down and they relied on their star players, which is fine. But if you have a concrete understanding of football where you have talent to back it up like the Bengals do, they don't need to rely on improvisation. They can just stick to the game plan, keep maintaining it, and they'll be fine. And that's what I saw. And that's what I think we're going to see again. And I'll tell you something, Cameron. This Chiefs team is built to beat the Bills because the Bills are similarly built. They are a... Improv- improvisation team. Josh Allen, when the exactly. play breaks down, they can, he'll just chuck it up to Stephon Diggs. He could run for a first. He could do a lot of things. Or it might be picked this- off by the Minnesota Vikings in the end zone. Exactly. That's my point. <laughs> that's, but no, that's my point. Like, I'm making a joke, but like, that's, that's, you're that's right. what could you're happen. Right. You're absolutely right. And the right. difference is, is that Mahomes is Mahomes and Allen is Allen. Allen's great. He's an amazing quarterback, but he's not quite as good as Mahomes. And that's why there's that difference. That's why Mahomes right now is in the AFC Championship game. And Josh and Allen is not. Now, and then you and now we take these two teams and compare them to the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals are they have one, a traditional drop step back drop passer. You know Stay what? Stay in the pocket. Yes. Here's the ball. Bing bang boom. Right down the field. They have elite playmakers just like the Chiefs do. Anyone that thinks and again, they've beaten them three straight times under the Burrow and Zach Taylor regime. So nothing should come as a surprise when Z- Cameron and I are going to say it, because I'm sure Cameron feels the same way. The Bengals might just be the better team here. They probably are. And I'll go one step further, guys. Okay, ready for this? I think they have the better quarterback. I think that Patrick Mahomes is a better athlete than Joe Burrow. 
But sometimes, athleticism only gets you so far. Patrick Mahomes is an intelligent quarterback, yet somehow Joe Burrow is more intelligent than Patrick Mahomes. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's there, what, 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 you know, it almost feels as if Patrick Mahomes is just, again, better playmaker in my opinion than Joe Burrow. But yes. when the throw needs yes. to be made, people finally have figured out not how to stop Patrick Mahomes, but just enough, just enough to give your team a chance. And when you're playing a team in the Cincinnati Bengals, if you give that team a chance, they might just go a long way with that chance. Give an inch, they'll take a mile. With other teams in the AFC, you can't do that with Mahomes. If you if they give you an inch, you you can't take a mile because you're not good enough. The Cincinnati Bengals are more than good enough to take that mile away from the Kansas City Chiefs. Exactly. Like I think, I mean, you you just put it the best. You just you just nailed it. Like Mahomes is is capable of of being the guy to save the play and being the guy to save the game. He's capable of doing it better than anybody else. He's so good that you can rely solely on him. Yes, he is. But like anybody, eventually. It, it, the pressure is going to crack, and that's what's happening. Is not not that it's happening because again we saw in the regular season Mahomes is Mahomes. He's, he's just the, he's, he's going to win MVP. He's the best quarterback yeah, in football. Yeah, it, exactly. But the thing is, is that when it comes down to like for example, that just nailed it. He's going to be MVP, but he's going to win a ring because the I, Super Bowl is not about the MVP. Dan Marino was the best quarterback ever. Let's be real. Back then, he was the best guy back <laughs> at then. That he never time, won a yeah, ring. I, I think he was better than Joe Montana, but he never won matter? a ring. And you look at, for example, you look at the videos of Dan Marino and you go, I can't believe you could see some of the shit this guy could do. You're like, you can't believe what he's done. But he doesn't have any rings. You watch videos of Tom Brady. You don't say the same thing. Sure, there's some times where you're just like, damn, that was a crazy play. God damn, it was a crazy comeback. But Brady wins games. Brady wins those comebacks. He doesn't have the crazy play to win those comebacks, but he has those crazy comebacks. Like the Atlanta game, other than the Julian Edelman catch, what moment do you remember where Tom Brady made this crazy play? There is none. There is no. There, there is, is no none. one play. But it was a series of plays. Exactly, and that's what Joe Burrow has. He has this to me. This when I was rewatching those games today, I, I saw Brady when I was watching Joe Burrow. A lot of people have been talking about that with Joe Burrow recently. A lot of you know. It's funny. I saw an article today talking about how Patrick Mahomes gets advice from Tom Brady. Those quarter. Like, there's no advice that Tom Brady can give Patrick Mahomes as far as uh, how to play, because. They're just such yeah. different quarterbacks. Yes. If you asked me who I'd rather have building a franchise, I would probably say Mahomes because I see the raw talent and everything. But what I don't see, and you don't see it till you're on the field, is Tom Brady will simply take what the defense gives him. Tom Brady is the smartest quarterback to ever play the game. No one understood it better than he did. Okay, I don't have a 16-yard play, but I have a five-yard check down right there. And you just said it. He takes what the defense gives him. And that's what and Joe Mahomes, Burrow does. Mahomes and that Kansas City Chiefs offense, Josh Allen and that Buffalo Bills offense, they want to take a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you want to take a little bit more, you get bit. Joe Burrow doesn't take more because Joe Burrow knows he doesn't need to take more because as long as he has the confidence in himself, as long as I keep doing what I'm doing, keep moving forward the way I'm going, it'll come. I don't need to take it. Great and I job. think that's going to be the difference right there. I think it's going to be a difference. I'm biased toward Joe's Burrow. I love the guy, but I have nothing against Patrick Mahomes. I think Joe Bur- Patrick Mahomes is a beast too. Um, I want Burrow to win, and I think Burrow is going to win. I should rephrase that. I want the Bengals to win, and I think the Bengals are going to win. But let's be real here. 
And then if you wanted to break it down like like category by category like you did, sure, we could do all quarterback by quarterback. Let's say it's close to even. We'll give Mahomes a little bit of an edge there. But then you take receivers. What are we doing here? Uh, it's not close. The Bengals yeah, Jamar have Chase, the best T. Higgins, receivers. Tyler Boyd. Imagine Patrick and, Mahomes with Jamar Chase. Um, right. It's insane. Now, granted, Mahomes has Kelsey. Kelsey, the tight end, has the advantage there. But then you go to the running backs. You have a committee running back from the Chiefs, but you have Mixon. You got Samaj Perrine. And the first time these two teams played this season, Mixon was hurt. And Jamar Chase was on his first game back after That's missing nine right. weeks. He was on his first game back. I forgot about that. Yeah, so Jamar Chase now, uh, he's been playing. And he's been <laughs> playing pretty damn well consistently for the last couple of weeks. This just, as of when I was breaking it down, this story just seems, the odds keep seeming to stack in the Bengals' favor. And I just, I don't see any other way around it. I think they're going to win unless the only way they Chiefs win is Mahomes. If Mahomes can do what Mahomes does at the exact right moment, but he has to rely on all the car, all the, the stars aligning for him. Whereas Burrow, I don't think does. I agree. I don't think he has to rely on the, on everything. And you know, I feel like a lot of people might hear this and, you know, they say that we're doubting Patrick Mahomes. Here's the one thing I've come to know. Patrick Mahomes is the best playmaker in football because of everything that you've just mentioned, the improvisation, the extreme, the, the, just the unheard of talent. He's a better yeah. version of Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers yeah. won all those MVPs, but he won one Super Bowl because he didn't have the best team. And what it comes down to, it doesn't matter if you have the best quarterback. I don't think the Chiefs are a better team than the Bengals. And that I Bengals agree. team, and listen, if the Eagles win, I'm rooting for the Chiefs. I don't want anything <laughs> to do with Joe Burrow. I want nothing yeah. to do with that guy. Yeah. I'll take my chances against Andy Reid. I've seen what he's like in a Super Bowl. It ain't pretty. Yeah, it comes down for, for the Eagles and the Chiefs. It comes down to a shootout, and uh, the like Eagles got a damn better. good shot. And it, if, and it comes down when it comes down to a shootout, like you mentioned during your breakdown with the Eagles and the 49ers, it comes down to a shootout. Which team has the better run game? That's usually the team that's going to win, and it's going to be the Eagles. And then I'm telling you, I don't think there are two teams more like each other than the Eagles and the Bengals. I really don't. I, I think that those two teams are some of the most similar teams in the NFL, which I think would make it the better Super Bowl matchup. But great job, Cameron, on your breakdown. Like that was honestly fun. I, I honestly found myself not even being a podcaster. I was just, I was just now, I was just enjoying listening. That was awesome. Well, thank you, thank you. And I do want to end it really quick. The last thing I met, forgot to mention was when when the overtime point uh, uh, the AFC Championship game last week last year. The Chiefs get the ball first, and what do they do? They can run it. They have 15 minutes. They could run it. They could try to get downfield, get the field goal, or chip away, get the touchdown, whatever. They don't. They open up with a 40-yard pass downfield, and what happens? It's intercepted. Because he wanted to take more. Than what he needed He didn't to. take what the defense gave him. And what did the Bengals do? They just ran the ball <laughs> until they got it to within 20 yards and kicked it and said, all right, we'll see you in L.A. How much of so, that, I just wanted to ask you, as someone, you know, when you were doing the studying, how much of what happened to the Chiefs last year do you think had to do with the fact that they were probably feeling the sky-high confidence of what they had just done the week before against the Bills, where they had 13 seconds left and they got the field goal to send the game into overtime, then they won the coin toss, drove right down the field, Travis Kelsey in the end zone, wins the game, sends the Bills home. Do you think that might have had something to do with, like, all right, you know what, business as usual, we're going to go right back out there and do the same thing to this team? <laughs> It's funny because I wasn't even considering that, and and now that you brought that up, yeah, I mean, I not that I I shouldn't say I think that it absolutely played a role, but why wouldn't it? 
right? Like Why every wouldn't? time you get the ball, it's like, well, we, we always have a chance because we just won the game in 13 seconds last week. So yeah, I think absolutely that played a role. And again, it's like you, you can't rely on that. You can use it, you can utilize it, but you can't rely on it. And too often, I think the Chiefs rely on it. And I think that that's been one of the cool things about the Eagles is that they've been the same way. I, I don't think Jalen Hurts at any point has pressed the ball down the field when he didn't need to. Um, I don't either. I do think that much like Mahomes, and maybe but maybe not so much in this situation because Mahomes had the previous knee issue, um, Hurts does is willing to run with the ball to create five, six yards down the field for himself, create a second and five or third and four situation. Um, what a breakdown. That was actually really good. I, can actually, I, I can't even be like a host right now. I'm actually so into like what you were saying. Um, I'm so excited, dude. This is, I love this. Is this great, is one of the best championship weekends just football. I think I've ever seen. This is really yeah, like – It is. I think it's it the is. four best teams in football. Yeah. I Yeah. Um, so as we wind things down, as we wind things down, what I want to say to you is wherever you watch the game, if you're an Eagles fan, um, obviously I'm with you. Like, let's go Birds. If you're a Niners <laughs> fan that picks us up and you want to trash me, if in, in case the Niners win, go ahead. I just want you to know something. If the Niners win, I'm probably rooting for them in the Super Bowl. I have nothing against the San Francisco 49ers. I really like that team a lot. I really like them a lot. They were the one team I was hoping not to get in the playoffs. I was kind of hoping for Dallas in a way. But mm-hmm. it is what it is. And um, for Chiefs and uh, Bengals, whoever wins that game, like I said it before, you have just as much of a chance as any of these other four teams. I This is one of the most fun weekends of football coming up, and it is so cool to once again see my team to be a part of it. For the Fly Guys Podcast, my name is Justin Goodart. This has been Cameron Klein. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the Fly Guys Podcast, at Cameron Klein 15 myself at Goodhart Justin. Be happy, be healthy, and as always, fly Eagles fly. <laughs>